This is part number two of a new series that we started last week, and it's on the book of 1 John. And if you guys know your Bible, you know that John was one of the disciples of Jesus. He was one of the 12. And even more than that, John was really on the inner circle. He was part of the three that Jesus spent a lot of time with and was really, really close with. And the reason why uh, we want to always be studying, we, once a year we try to be able to make it a point to study a, a book of the Bible, and that is that we have this incredible privilege to be able to get to know the very Word of God. That we have, all of us can have copies. And if you don't have one, church, we want to get one in your hand, a Bible. And that we all have this incredible privilege to read what God has for our life, his general will for our life, to be able to know uh, what he's speaking to us. It's so awesome. And so I really would love to see this mindset shift away from, oh, that Bible, I got to read that Bible, to this delight. This joy I get to. Oh man, I, I have the very word of God that I can pick up and read whenever I want. And, and so I just, I want to see a church that is really just on fire with wanting to know God's word and, and seeing the incredible privilege that we have in his word. And so last week we started off the series. We felt like it was really important to establish the credibility of the Bible. And as we know that the Bible has been constantly under scrutiny for thousands of years and honestly is held up in the test of time against all that scrutiny. And there's so much evidence that, that shows the accuracy of the Bible, the credibility of that. And, and so if you missed last week, it'd be really good for you to go and watch that message to be able to look at just why the Bible can be trusted, why the Word of God is the inspired Word of God. It wasn't just wrote by a bunch of uh, men that wanted to share their own thoughts, that it was actually Holy Spirit inspired, and, and these men wrote things that they could have never known on their own. And, and so you can go on YouTube, type in Crosspoint Whitewater, and you can watch that message from last week and get an understanding of where we started. This morning, we're going to going a little bit of a different direction, and we're going to talk about the last hour or the end times. Oh yeah, buckle up. Here we go, church. All right, you ready to roll? And the reason why we're going to talk about this is because every major author, just about every author in the Bible talked about, especially in the New Testament, talked about the end times, talked about the second coming of Jesus. And, and that doesn't exclude John. John, in fact, talked about it in chapter 2, and that's why we're going to jump into that, the, the, the second coming of Jesus Christ, the end times, the last hour. There's a lot of different phrases for that. But um, I'm sure that some of you guys, some of you guys are intrigued by it. You're, you're kind of, this is kind of a hobby. You like being able to look at what's going on in the world and then connect it to the Bible and what the scriptures say. Others of you guys are like, I'd rather not think about that. I want to think about happy things and I'm going to avoid thinking about that. And I actually have to go to the bathroom right now and you're going to just keep on walking right out the church. And uh, I get that. You don't want to think about that. Uh, so funny story. When I was uh, 18 years old, I went to this ministerial internship in Zion, Illinois, and this church was really big on the end times and, and Israel and connecting the, the prophecies of the Bible with what's going on. And all of them were like, it's going to happen this year. Like, this is it. And I was sitting there as an 18-year-old kid. I was like, no, I want to get married. I want to have kids yet. Like, there's so much. I was just, I was not like, I was like nodding my head because it wasn't very uh, holy to, to disagree with something like that as these saints were talking about this. But inside, I was dying. So I was like, oh man, I hope he doesn't come back this year because there's some things I want to accomplish. Have you ever felt that way before? You're like, I have some things that I want to do here, you know, and uh, within marriage and if you know what I mean. All right, but we're going to go ahead and move on from that. Every t I was a youth pastor for six years and every teenager thought that. And so I had to address it head on. And I was like, man, I know what that's, that, that's like. So instead of it being this like joyful moment or this 
really exciting thing of Jesus' second coming. For a lot of us, I think it can be this fearful thing. It can be something that we're scared of or we're apprehensive about. We don't want, to hap- don't want it to come to, to pass. But I just want to encourage you, church, this morning, that everything that I'm talking about, everything that God's Word describes when it comes to the last days or the end times or the second coming of Jesus, it's meant to bring you comfort. It's meant to bring you peace. It's not meant to instill fear in you. And this is why. Because God promises that one day his kingdom is going to be established here on earth as it is in heaven fully. Now, we get, we get, we get it in part. We get to see his kingdom. You know, even this morning when you experience the presence of God, you experience some of his kingdom. But there's a day coming when it's going to be unceasing, constantly experiencing God's kingdom. We're going to be overwhelmed with the glory and the splendor of the Lord. And he, he promises that when Jesus comes back again, that his kingdom is going to be established on earth forever. And here's the other awesome part about this is that Satan and all his little buddies are going to be obliterated and thrown into outer darkness forever too. And so that's going to take care of, I don't know, about all of your problems. And then he he describes that there's a new heaven and a new earth being set up, that he's going to have a new heaven and a new earth, and they're going to be perfect. They're going to be, they're blameless. The Bible says it's going to be filled, the earth and the heavens are going to be filled with God's righteousness. It's going to be sinless, blameless, perfect, and we'll get to live in that again. And then on top of that, it says you're also going to get some, a new resurrected body. And, and Jesus was a forerunner for that. So we're going to have, like Jesus, a new resurrected body. Jesus said, come up. You can, I'm going to eat. It's not going to fall through me like Casper the ghost. Go ahead, Thomas. Go ahead and put your hand there. It's a real body. You're going to get one too if you believe in me. And you're going to have this new resurrected immortal body one day. And so this is a promise for us. And then lastly, I, I want to emphasize, that he said when, when his kingdom's established, there's going to be no more pain, no more suffering, no more sorrow, and no more tears. How many of you guys like, sign me up? Yeah. All right, about half of you. That's good. All right, I can work with that. We'll get there this morning. Romans 8.18 says this, Yet what we suffer now is nothing compared to the glory that he will reveal in us later. In other words, we're going to have to go through some tough stuff, but it's nothing compared to what I just described. For all creation is waiting eagerly for the future day when God will reveal who his children really are. Against its will, all creation was subject to God's curse. That's why there's mosquitoes, bugs, snakes. That explains it all right there. God's curse, all right? Blood-sucking animals, God's curse. All right. I hate those things, by the way. You're not supposed to say hate. Well, I hate mosquitoes. I love people. I hate mosquitoes. But with eager hope, the creation looks forward to the day when it will join God's children in glorious freedom from death and decay. Come on, let me read that again, just in case you checked out. There's a day that we're looking forward to of God's children uh, partaking in this glorious freedom from death and decay. How many of you guys are just sick of so much death and so much decay around you? You're ready to see some life, life more abundantly forever. Well, he said that day's coming. Don't, you know, hold tight. For we know that all creation has been groaning as in pains of childbirth right up to the present time. And we believers also groan, even though we have the Holy Spirit within us as a foretaste of future glory. So we experience some of his kingdom now. For we long for our bodies to be released from sin and suffering. Amen. We too wait with eager hope for the day when God will give us our full rights as his adopted children, including the new body he's promised us. 
If you're getting achy and you're having pain, I got good news for you. If you believe in Jesus Christ, you're getting a new one, and it's going to be awesome. You guys are like, oh, yeah, I'm ready for that. Woo! Like I said, before we get to that point, we're going to see some crazy things, though. And this is what I think sometimes people can get fearful of, that there's going to be a lot of chaos leading up to this. Our earth is going to experience, and we're going to experience just so much chaos and destruction. And honestly, guys, I believe we're right in the middle of it. See, God isn't trying to scare us. He's not trying to scare you. He's not that dad that does these threats to be able to scare his kids to do what he wants them to do. He doesn't act that way. That's not his nature. He's not trying to scare us, church. He's, he's trying to prepare us. Jesus is trying to prepare us for what's to come. And he's preparing us for the chaos that's coming. And like I said, I believe that we're already experiencing most of this of what I'm going to describe this morning. And that's why I'm so convinced that we are in this time that the Bible describes this last hour. And here's the first thing that he's preparing us of, and that is a spirit of deception. How many of you guys would agree it's really hard to get at the truth these days? It's really hard to find the truth. I mean, you turn on your TV and you listen to the news, and you, don't you just be like, aren't, I, maybe I'm just speaking for myself. I just frustrate. I'm like, what's truth? Everything's one-sided. Everything's hiding this information and letting this. I mean, just I'm so sick of the deception and the, the lack of truth. But the Bible describes this, and John prophesied about this, that there was going to be a truth problem in the end days and then times. He said this in John 2.18, Dear children, the last hour is here. Like I said, just like all the other major authors of the Bible, he talks about the end times. And he says the last hour is here. You have heard that the Antichrist, and um, if you guys are familiar with the Left Behind series, you probably know about the Antichrist, the one that's really going to embody Satan himself. The Antichrist is coming. But he says, and already many such Antichrists have appeared. So little Antichrist. From this we know that the last hour has come. These people left our churches, but they never really belonged with us. Otherwise, they would have stayed with us. That verse really fascinates me. I'm not going into it too much because I'm still chewing on that one. But it's just interesting that that spirit of deception is trying to get in the church. And it's trying to work in the church. And that John is warning against this. In fact, John is writing these letters. There's a, there's a church split that happened. He actually calls out the guy that created a church split within this early church. Isn't that crazy? Right after Jesus, they, they start church. And basically right away, there's a church split. I mean, it's just, and obviously we have seen so much of it. And so he's warning against this and what's already the enemy's plan to try to steal, kill, and destroy, and divide the church. And then he says, when they left, it proved that they didn't belong with us. But you are not like that, for the Holy One has given, given you his spirit, and all of you know the truth. So I am writing to you, not because you don't know the truth, but because you know the difference between truth and lies. John, John's wanting believers to be confident that if you have the Holy Spirit living in you, if you've given your life to Jesus, that you have the truth living in you. You're okay. You're going to be all right. You can guard against this spirit of deception that's going to start running rampant on the earth. And he says, and who is a liar? Anyone who says that Jesus is not the Christ. Anyone who denies the Father and the Son is the Antichrist. Anyone who denies the Son doesn't have the Father either. But anyone who acknowledges the Son has the Father also. So you must remain faithful to what you've been taught from the beginning. If you do, you'll remain in fellowship with the Son and with the Father. And this is the fellowship we enjoy, the eternal life he has promised us. Now listen to this. I am writing these things. So he tells us why he's writing it. To warn you 
about those who want to lead you astray. He's writing this book to believers to warn them, hey, there's this nasty, deceptive spirit that is being released on the earth, and it's going to try to trick you. It's going to try to deceive you. And so I'm writing these things to warn you not to give in to these lies, to, to be, but to stay true to Jesus. So here's the, he, he wants to warn us against the spirit of deception. Here's a, the second one. He wants to warn us uh, and prepare us for this spirit of hatred. How many of you guys would say that you've seen some hatred in your lifetime uh, going on on the earth? Well, uh, Jesus uh, talked about that first. John prophesied about this. Listen to this. In Matthew 24, 8, Jesus said this. So he's talking to believers. Then you'll be arrested, persecuted, and killed. Oh, wonderful. You'll be hated all over the world because you're my followers. And many will turn away from me and betray and hate each other. That's the second time there. He's talking about this hatred. There's a spirit of hatred being unleashed. And you want to know why what, what's happening in the nation? You want to make sense out of these mass shootings and these other things going on? It's hatred. It's a spirit of hatred that's happening that has been released on the earth that John prophesied about, this hatred. And many false prophets will appear and will deceive many people. So he hits on again what First John hit on. Sin will be rampant everywhere. Well, I think we see that. And the love of many will grow cold. This is the verse that's got me. This love of many will grow cold. And this is what I, I believe that we are experiencing in our lifetime that we've maybe uh, other generations haven't experienced this, this degree is this love of many growing cold. And this, uh, everyone claims to love, but when, when we disagree with each other, we end up hating each other and we, friendships just go the opposite direction over any little disagreement, political disagreement. We're just like, I don't want to be around that person. I can't stand that person. That love has grown cold. We can't even have differences anymore without uh, it driving us two different directions. And it's this love. We can't, the Bible describes that love covers a multitude of sin, but yet when we face someone else's sin, we're out of there. And I'm telling you, it's, it's what God said was going to happen. He says, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. And then this is what the Apostle Paul said to Timothy. He said this to, to Timothy in 1 Timothy 3.5. You should know this, Timothy, that in the last days, there'll be very difficult times. Why is he saying this? To prepare us. For people will love only themselves and their money. Let me put it another way. People are going to have massive egos and use money for power. They will be boastful and proud, scoffing at God, disobedient to their parents and ungrateful. They will consider nothing sacred. Race won't be sacred. Ethnicity won't be sacred. Marriage won't be sacred. And sex certainly won't be sacred. They will be unloving and unforgiving. They'll slander others and have no self-control. They'll be cruel and hate what is good. They will betray their friends, be reckless, be puffed up with pride, love pleasure rather than God. They will act religious. So there's going to be this religious appearance of, yeah, yeah, I'm cool with God. I love God. But they will reject the power that can make them godly. Now, it's really easy to read all this and to go, oh, man, I wish this person was here at church. This is good. This would be great for them. They need to hear this. I read this of examining myself. Has there been any way that I've betrayed a friend? Because I'm giving in then to that spirit. Have I been cruel and hating what is good? Have I been unloving and unforgiving? Have I been like that? Have I been giving in to the ways that of this world and what the enemy's trying to do by refusing to forgive someone who has sinned against me? 
Have I um, not considered things to be sacred? Have I been puffed up with pride? Oh, ouch. You know, I, I want us to take this personally this morning, not like those people out there and point fingers. I want us to really look internal this morning of making sure that we have not allowed these two spirits to affect our lives, the spirit of these, the world, so the spirit of hatred and the spirit of deception, that we let God examine our heart. And this is what, you know, preparing for this message, and this is what I always do, because I don't want to be up here and be a hypocrite, church, is I, I want God to start with me first. Say, God, have I given into this? Have I given into this spirit of hatred and pointed fingers and been unloving and unforgiving? And God, show me, expose that, because I don't want nothing to do with this, the enemy's ways and this world's ways. I just want you, Lord. And so that's really my heart here this morning, that that would be our heart, church, where we would not just be looking outwardly to these people or these groups, but we'd be looking internal to what God's wanting to do in our life. And here's the last one that God's preparing us for. Physical destruction. Now, this is the one. This is the one that I think we focused a lot on, but it's actually the one, in my opinion, that's the least. The other two are the big deal because I believe those two can affect us big time. But the physical destruction is what we, I think we spend a lot of time on of looking at the signs of the times. And there's nothing wrong with that. But I just wanted to call out this morning the ones that we need to be really concerned about, the ones that we need to examine for our own lives is the spirit of deception and the spirit of hatred. Now, the, the physical destruction, Jesus said this about the last hour in Luke 21, 10. He says, nations will go, go to war against nations. Have we seen that? I think we've seen our share of war. And kingdom against kingdom, there'll be great earthquakes. There'll be famine and plagues in many lands. And there'll be terrifying things and great miraculous signs from heaven. And there'll be strange signs in the sun, the moon, and the stars. And here on earth, check, just listen, this is crazy. And here on earth, the nations will be in turmoil, get this, perplexed by the roaring sea and strange tides. People are freaking out about what's going on on our earth. Global warming, climate change, this is happening, this is happening. There's arguments, debates, fighting about this. And oh, we got to fix it. We got to do this. Well, I just, for me, what gives me so much peace is that God has already prepared us for this, what's happening to our earth. It's in a birthing pain, the Bible describes. And I, I don't know any of you guys that experienced that, but uh, when my wife was going through that, there was these, these intense moments, and then it'd subside, and then there'd be tense moments, and then the, it'd subside. And the closer and close, closer we got to the birth, the actual birth, those intense moments increased, right? And so the Bible describes that the end times are like these birthing pains. So we've gone through, you know, you have an earthquake and then a massive earthquake, and then 10 years later that you'll have another massive earthquake. Well, the Bible describes that that's going to speed up. There's going to be more of this more frequently, just like birthing pains. The contractions come quicker the closer you get. And so this is how we know the times that we live in. And then he says this, people will be terrified at what they see coming upon the earth. People are terrified right now, church, of what is coming upon the earth. They, even people that are godless see that there's something going on. For the powers in the heaven will be shaken. And so I say this to you this morning, not to scare you, but to prepare us and to give us some comfort that God already talked about it. He said, it's going to happen. And if you believe in me, you're going to be all right. I'm going to take care of you. I'm your Abba Father. I'm your good shepherd. I'm your protector. I'm your savior. God makes all these promises for those that love him and are called according to his purpose. Here's the second one here this morning. Jesus isn't trying to scare us. He's trying to focus us. 
If we really are living in the last days, the end times, then that means that there's a level of awareness and urgency that we should live our lives with. Look at this in 1 Thessalonians 5, 5. Paul says this to the body of believers. For you are all children of the light and of the day. We don't belong to darkness and night. How do we, how do we prove that we don't belong to the darkness and night? By living our lives as Jesus did, by forgiving those who have hurt us and offended us, by being kind and patient and caring, keeping no record of wrong. We know that we're children of light when we, when we, when we see what Jesus said, and then we're like, we're going to do that because he's, he's smart. He's smarter than me. He's better at running my life than me running my own. That proves that we belong to the day and not the darkness. And then it says this, then Paul says this, so be on your guard. Be on your guard, church. This is for you this morning. This is the, the Bible is prophetic. It speaks forth what God is wanting his people to hear. So be on your guard, not asleep like others. Stay alert and be clear-headed. Stay alert and be clear-headed. Now, this is why, honestly, and I'm going to maybe get off on my little soapbox here for a moment, and so just bear with me. This is why, for me, why I, I don't want to be drunk and high and all that other stuff or alter my state of mind because my God says, be alert, be clear-headed. And I, don't, I, I know like people are like, you know, I just, it's recreational for me. And I was like, yeah, I did that three times recreationally, and I was completely out of it. And, you know, uh, Dad, sorry, um, your, your son's turned it around since then, if you're watching this right now. Uh, I, I've given my life to the Lord after those three times, and uh, I love Jesus now. But, you know, it was Brother Jacob. He, he peer pressured me into it, by the way. Oh, they're going to throw him under the bus. But I know from a personal experience of being high, you are not clear-headed, are you? You are in another state of mind. And so the reason why God tells us not to alter our state of mind with, with any of this, it's not because he's a fun hater. It's because he knows the times that we live in and he wants us to be clear-headed. He wants us to be alert, to not fall asleep, to be ready. And so what should we do if, if we are really living in, in those days that the Bible is talking about? Then, then how are we supposed to live or what does God want us to do? And the first one is, Stay close to Jesus. Stay close to Jesus. Here, here's the simplicity of it, church. When you are close to Jesus, you are living in the light and the truth. Deception can't get at you. Hatred can't get at you. Darkness can't get at you. Underneath the shadow of the Almighty, when you're close to Jesus, you cannot be tricked. You cannot be fooled. You cannot have, be overcome by darkness. Come on, can I get a good amen this morning? Come on, church. 1 John 2, 28 says this, And now, dear children, remain in fellowship with Christ so that when he returns, you'll be full of courage and not shrink back from him in shame. In other words, be ready, stay close to him, that when that day arrives, you'll be excited and not ashamed. When that day arrives, that you'll be full of courage and not shrink back. Well, how do I know I'm close to Jesus? I love in, in, the, in the book of 1 John, John describes this litmus test of how we can know whether or not we're close to Jesus. And here's one of them. It's in 1 John 2, 5. He says this, For those who obey God's word truly show how completely they love him. That is how we know we're living in him, when we obey him. And then it says this, Those who say they live in God, those who say they're believers, Christians, should live their lives as Jesus did. 
So to say, I, I love the Lord, I, I love my God, but I'm not doing any of that. I'm not going to follow any of that. He's saying, no, you're, you're deceiving yourself. You've fallen underneath of that deception because you know that you love the Lord. You know that you're close to him when you're obeying what he had said, not out of this like fear, not out of this duty, but out of this delight. God, I love you. You're amazing. And I want to do what you said to do because you're a good Abba Father. It's, it's out of that sort of relationship in heart. Here's the second thing that he has called us to do. So to, to stay close to Jesus. And the second one is to focus on relationships. Focus on relationships. First John 2, 7 says this. Dear friends, I'm not writing a new commandment for you. Rather, it's an old one you have heard from the very beginning. This old commandment, to love one another, is the same message you heard before. He says, all right, while, while we're in these days, the love of many will grow cold. You follow me here, the church. And God says, I want you to counter that with the opposite spirit. So there's hatred coming upon the earth. I want you to counter it with love. And, and I think that what's, what I'm realizing now in this cultural thing that we're happening is that the definition of love is really being distorted. Everyone seems to have, the, everyone's saying it. Well, you got to love. It's about love, 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 love. And, but everyone's forming that out of their own definition. Uh, it's, and honestly, if I can be completely blunt, it's out of this self-serving definition. So that you love me, and I'm going to set the bar really high of how you love me, but I'm going to set the bar really low for myself of how I love others. And, and so I just I feel uh, just compelled this morning that every time we talk about love, I need to define it because it's becoming so distorted in our culture. And I want to give you God's de- definition of love, and it comes out of 1 Corinthians 13, 4, the love chapter. So here's what God has said, that we are to be like this for all people, all people, those that those that are, are difficult and those that are really easy to get along with. Love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. Love doesn't get up in someone else's face and say, you're wrong, you're so whatever, pointing the finger. Love doesn't do that. Even if you are right, that's not the right way to do it. It's not rude. And honestly, church, I've been rude to people. And even sharing my faith, I've been rude. Where I, I was more interested in winning the debate than actually leading them to Jesus. It was rude. It wasn't loving. It was a rudeness. It was a pride. And that says it does not demand its own way. It's not irritable and it keeps no record of being wronged. It doesn't, it doesn't say, oh man, my spouse just did that. I can't forget that. i got to use that against them later, so I'm going to write it right here. And when they come at me, I'm going to fire that right back at them. Yeah, I remember back August 13th, 2019, you did, and start reading it to them. I mean, that, you know, God calls us to love, which means you don't keep records of wrongs. You don't throw old, old things back in that person's faith, face because love, it says, it keeps no record. It does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. And let me just say this quick. Right now, the world wants to say that if you disagree with me, you don't love me. I say, I love you even if I disagree with you. In fact, it shows more that I love you when I disagree with you. Again, I still want relationship. I still want to be around you. That's the God's love right there. We don't rejoice and say, oh, everything's okay, and therefore I'm showing that I love you. No, 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 no. I disagree with you, and I still love you and want to hang out with you. That's love. That's what love is. We don't have to give in and agree to everything in order to prove that we love them. No. 
we still are patient and kind and we're still gentle with them. We don't get in debates with them. We're not rude. But we definitely don't have to say, well, I got to agree with everything that you believe. Otherwise, I'm, you're going to accuse me of not loving you. No, 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 no. That's not God's love. Love never gives up, never loses faith, is always hopeful and endures through every circumstance. That's love. And let's, let's stay grounded on God's definition of love and not get caught up in the world's love and definition in any way. Here's the last one we should do. God has called us to make a difference. So while we're waiting, so to speak, while before Jesus comes back, stay close to Jesus. Love everybody that's around you in, in your sphere of influence. Love them according to God's definition of love. And then the last one is make a difference. We do this by doing what 1 Peter 4.10 says, each one should use whatever gift he has received to serve others, faithfully administering God's grace in its various forms. God has given all of you these gifts, these abilities, and they're not for you. They're for serving others. And this is part of the mission here at Crosspoint is that we want every person to discover their God-given gifts so that they can serve others and show the love of God to other people. Show them how much God cares about them. And so he goes into how do we, how do, we do that? And so if you have, if you have the gift of, of hospitality, then, then do it well. If you have the gift of teaching, then do it well. And so all of you, every single one of you, whether you discovered it or not, you have gifts that God has given to you. And we long for you to discover that so you can make a difference during the times that we live in. See, John wanted his readers to understand that the times that we're living in are, are extremely difficult and perilous times. And all of you, I, I believe, know that already. But he also wanted to give us this hope and to know that, man, good days are ahead, church. Really, really awesome days are ahead. And although we go through some suffering now, Man, on the other side of it, it's going to be amazing. It's going to be awesome. And in the meantime, our job is to be light and salt, to give people a glimpse of this coming kingdom so that they'll want to be a part of it, to love Jesus, to love others, and to use our gifts to serve him well. Let me end with this scripture here this morning, what the apostle Peter said about Jesus' return. Second Peter 3, 9 says, The Lord isn't really being slow about his promise and then the promise of his coming again. Some people are like, man, they've been talking about Jesus coming back for 2,000 years, <laughs> whatever. Be careful, be careful. As some people think, no, he is being patient for your sake. Listen to this, church. He does not want anyone to be destroyed. He really, really loves people, loves them so much more than we do. And he wants to fill us with that same heart, that same love for people. And it says that he, he, he doesn't want anyone to be destroyed, but wants everyone to repent and to come to know him. This is why God is holding out over 2,000 years. Because I believe that our God is saying, oh, just one more. If there's just one more. And, and we Christians are like, come on, Lord. Like, it's getting hard here. And he's like, just hold on. Just be patient. Stick, stick with it. I think there's one more that will give their life to me. You know, God, he doesn't, it says he doesn't delight when people reject him and choose destruction instead of abundant life. He, has, he says it takes no delight in that. And then he says, but the day of the Lord will come as an unexpectedly as a thief. Then the heavens will pass away with the terrible noise and the very elements themselves will disappear in fire and the earth and everything on it will be found to deserve judgment. So once he comes, decision time's over. You know, when, when a 
army comes in and invades a land and, and wins a battle, the army can't at that point say, all right, well, let's negotiate this. No, 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 that's too late. You have to do that before the invading army hits. And so God is coming back again to judge the world and to make everything right and to, to create a new heaven and new earth, all of that. And he's holding out, being as patient as possible so that everyone will come to know him. He wants them to know him desperately so that they won't experience that coming judgment. And that's about as scary as I'm gonna get this morning. But it's because I love you. It's because it's what God's word says. And I wanna tell you what God's word says here this morning. So would you just close your eyes with me here this morning, bow your head. I really felt compelled this week that God wanted to send out a call to his church for anyone that has just been on the fence about him, haven't made a commitment that were what Eve just described of, I know about him, but I'm not, not gonna really give in. And then to be able to finally go all in like what she did. I wanna give every one of us in this room that moment to be able to give their life to Jesus. And maybe you've been sitting here like, man, I've known the Lord for 50 years. I prayed that 50 years ago. Can we just pray a renewed prayer of commitment? God, I'm yours. And so for all of you guys here this morning, would you just say that quietly to yourself? Nobody needs to hear it. God, I'm yours. I just want you so much. I want more of you. So Lord, I believe that as we stay close to you and as we're in the light, you're gonna keep us safe. And although there's chaos and trouble all around, God, we believe that underneath the shadow of the Almighty, there's protection. And our God's our banner who waves over us. And we just thank you so much for that, Lord. Maybe you're here this morning and you, you have never committed your life to the Lord. You've never given him your heart. The Bible says that all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, every single one of us. But then it says that God sent Jesus just at the right time. While we were sinning, Christ came and died for us. Jesus came to take our place, to pay our bill, to make this beautiful exchange, his life for our life. And the Bible says in Romans, it says that the penalty of sin is death. What happened to Jesus on that cross? He paid for that penalty. He paid by his very life because the the penalty, the consequence of sin is death. And he says, all right, I'll take the death so that they don't have to. What a beautiful exchange. And so if you're here this morning, you've never given your life to Jesus. With every eye closed, I don't want to embarrass anyone. I just want you to raise your hand here this morning so I can just know who I'm praying for. I'm not going to embarrass you. Again, this is a very personal moment, just you and the Lord. But I want to know if there's just anyone who wants to make that commitment here this morning. Raise your hand here this morning. Thank you. Thank you. Awesome. Thank you. You can go ahead and put your hand down. I just want to pray. Would you just pray this after me quietly? Nobody needs to hear around you. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for Jesus. Thank you. Thank you that Jesus came for my sins, to be able to take my place, to die for my sins. And so, Lord, I choose to let you come in and be my Savior, my Lord, this day. I choose for you to pay my bill so I don't have to. And I thank you, God, that abundant life is promised for me. And I just receive you now, Holy Spirit, the one who lives inside, and to come and fill me up right now with the fullness of the Spirit of God, and that darkness would flee and life would come 
In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Come on, church, let's make some noise here this morning.